a pretty immature communication and relationship on my end. I started that that project with a just, don't worry, I'll make it work for you. And you can guess how that went when you don't ever talk about what expectations are. Resentment just kind of builds over time. To have someone assume you're going to do something without ever talking about it feels like you're being used. Yeah, not, not the way to do it. Hello, and welcome to episode 44 of Webflail. I'm your host, Jack, a failure connoisseur, and today my guest is Max Joles. Max is the head of dev for 8020 Agency in the States, and also writes a newsletter about Maine, where he lives, called the Maine Outsider, about a roundup of local outdoor events. He also set up Made by Adventure, a company to highlight travel as a force for good. I've never met Max, but from scrolling through his social media and website, it seems to explain two big parts of his life, his love of problem solving and the great outdoors. I think people that are good at working through analytical problems and also have a love for the outdoors are particularly potent because they can both zoom in on problems, but also zoom out to have a wider perspective. Today, we'll dig into Max's failures as a web flower and head of ops at 8020, forgetting he has a body, assuming responsibility, and taking himself too seriously. So, embrace and learn from failure in episode 44 of Webflail with Max Joles. Max, welcome to the Webflail podcast. Thank you, Jack. That was fun to have that read back to me. It's always kind of strange when you know, I've met someone for the first time and I basically tell them about them because there's not that many times in life when someone will talk about you when you've just met them off the internet. So I'm glad that you think that that was generally pretty accurate. Yeah. And I love that you went in completely, uh, you didn't, you didn't run it by me before you just made the read, wrote it up and boom, nailed it. 10 out of 10. That's a relief. I'm glad that we're, uh, we're on the right lines with this one. So your website says you support makers you build pro- build side projects and ask a lot of questions. And you're clearly very involved in different online communities. And so where did this love of tinkering and making things and finding the grit in the oyster come from? Mm. I mean, I like to say it was always there, but I don't, I don't think it was. I think curiosity was kind of a late blooming trait for me. Pretty much after college, I'd say. So after college, I took a non-traditional route and started a travel company with a friend. And... It was during that experience, I went to, to school for economics, environmental science. So I had no experience or background in anything entrepreneurial or startup E. But just through the course of, of basically creating trips, marketing them, building a website, sort of curiosity in, in problem solving and just seeing something, needing to do it, learning about it, solving it, getting satisfaction from it, started the feedback cycle, I guess, was a lot tighter with that. And it really encouraged me, I guess, to go out and, and learn. So I think the first maybe four or five years after college where my curiosity was applied in a way that was very, I guess, professional or oriented towards, you know, skill building, problem solving, getting the, the business off the ground, all these things. And kind of just recently within maybe the last two, three years, it's changed quite a bit where. I think because of my situation, I'm not a freelancer. I'm not grinding so much anymore. I don't feel that pressure. It's been able to go other ways in completely weird places. And I, and I let it go that way. So it's kind of like that problem solving 
curiosity that has a certain outlet and certain reward that came earlier, but the curiosity for just the love of figuring out something is a new thing. And, and I'm kind of rolling with that a lot more lately, finding a lot of joy in that. It's interesting that you had like an entrepreneurial thing that kind of gave you the practical need to work things out. And then mm. after, like throughout that process, you seem to combine the outdoors, but then also actually like learning that you love problem solving and then figuring out because there's so many different parts to to building a business like you know acquiring customers communicating clearly with them and stuff and i i guess that really led itself nicely into um you know freelancing and later now your role as um head of ops at h20 yeah i mean it's like it anytime you're put in that freelance situation or an entrepreneurial space it's it's totally self-directed by nature, right? Because you are the person who creates the movement and you are the person who's responsible for making things happen. And you are the person responsible for learning what you don't know. And I think when I got in that place for the first time after college, it was a new experience and I it took a minute to adjust to it. But again, the the feedback of and it's different than college where, you know, or school where someone might say, write an essay on this topic. There's really not a lot of nurturing of I guess what do you want to write about what do you find interesting and when you get in in a, like a freelance role or some sort of role where you go out and you have to understand things like what does it mean to do marketing what does that entail oh, you know what are the different ways to market all whatever the question is it's different when it comes from you and you have a chance to go find that information rather than a person telling you I need you to do this so yeah just unlock something different and if you can I guess like embody that mindset and practice it and actually view it as a skill set similar probably to how you have thought about interviewing guests if you can think about asking questions and actually be aware of the questions you're asking it'll just take you places that I think are unexpected and something that's on your website as well is that that you seem to really highlight is asking a lot of questions that seems to be one thing that I've noticed when you're working with someone who's a freelancer who maybe doesn't have as much experience, they don't ask as many questions because they're worried that by asking questions, they're basically showing that they don't have the answers when they think that they, they should. Yeah. Whereas you're, as someone who's pretty experienced, uh, you know, head of ops at 820, you say, I ask loads and loads of questions. And I think it's interesting how you highlight the fact that you don't have the answers and you are trying to discover them by asking so many questions. Do you think that's a really important part of your of your success as a freelancer and webflow? Yeah, totally. I would say it's it's not just about the quantity of questions. I really would would say it's a it's an art form and it's something that I think people don't pay much attention to. And not something I was again ever taught or exposed to is the idea of basically the type of questions you ask change the trajectory of where you're headed. So like in whatever environment you're in, especially collaborative environments, whether it's a sales call, uh, a technical call, a call with your team, a call if you're a manager, however you cadence those questions in the order you ask them will dictate where the conversation goes. So if on a sales call, you only focus on the nitty gritty and you just blast technical questions, that's not the right approach. You have to think before you go into those environments, you know, what am I trying to get from that? And what type of questions might lead me there? And then obviously there's a bit of improv to it too, where 
you know, you can't always know what you need to ask. So you have to be in the moment, you have to listen, you just have to follow up. But yeah, totally. It, it's a, a really helpful skill and it makes people feel seen. Um, mm. I was actually thinking about this this morning where <laughs> the failure we'll talk about later, I actually reread the old emails with the client I, I had an issue with and fired and clients get nervous when you are quiet and you don't tell them things or you leave them in the dark. And one of the easiest ways you can make them not feel that way is to just show up with questions and, and be curious and make sure you're giving them a chance to voice what they want to say. And then on the super next level is if you have the ability to ask questions that provoke them to think a way they haven't thought before, even if you're not, you're not sharing new information, you're not telling them what to do, but you're just causing them to think about something slightly differently, then your level is even, even higher. But even if you just show up and you ask good questions and you make an honest attempt to understand what they're trying to do, that will make you authoritative in a way you're not actually projecting as an authority. What you just said reminds me of, I, I don't know if this is just Christo who said this, but I've heard Christo talk about this. He talks about how what questions are the least valuable questions, whereas why questions are the most valuable. So there's kind of questions that lead to quite closed answers and they might be more like technical questions like how many pages do you do you want for your website rebuild or whatever mm. and then there's there's why questions that are more valuable like you said that this is your goal why is this the primary objective for the website rebuild or something like that mm. yeah which instantly changes like you just mentioned there the the perspective of the client of how you're changing how the client might see their own version of reality and I think that's a really, really powerful kind of framework to think about when you're when you're asking questions to clients. Do you do you agree with that? And does that resonate? Yeah, totally. Again, on the idea of, you know, a cadence of questions or how you order them and the type of questions, you know, there are different questions that lead to different responses. And to your point, like there are there's a time and place for what questions. So as a specific example, if I'm if I'm working with a client on a big migration, in the early phases, we'll be talking about why questions, which are the things you talked about, which is, you know, what are the motivations here? The, these are what I'm saying them as what questions are starting with what, but they're really why. Um, it's like the motivation or the, the reason behind it. You know, it might be like, what do you what do you hope to gain from moving? What would what would an ideal scenario look like? Uh, those type of questions open it up to a bigger thing. Uh, you know, why you're moving is, is kind of the why part of that or but then there's the the real tactical what questions which come later, which might be, what does this technology do? You know, if I'm auditing the marketing scripts or the integrations on their site, then I'm just hammering through what questions. And it's not about it's not about exploring something deeper or trying to understand a deeper meaning. It's purely just information exchange. And the question is just the way to get that information out of them into me. And I think what you said, you know, you talked about like a question about something, I don't, I don't know what you said, but a question about like the client's motivations or their business goals or whatever. Another thing about questions is they're gentler. So if you're having a client ask you for something or their scope creep or whatever, and you've had that, those why questions earlier where you've identified um, what are the motivations, what are the big business objectives, whatever that is. And all of a sudden they're asking you to do something. Rather than pushing back and being like, uh, this isn't in scope, and a more gentle way to do this is like, hey, do you think this, how, how do you think this relates to the main goal you set in step one? And it's such a nice way to flip it where you're not just forcing 
you know, a resistance, you're, you're, you're opening it up to them to, to consider. Now, maybe they come back and they try to play you and then you're in some sort of weird question interview or interrogation in mode. But I, I that's not my experience. It, it's better to kind of open it up to them and you're, you're shining the light on it without spotlighting in the eyes, I guess. That's what it feels like. I can imagine you must feel a bit like Yoda when you say, but let's look at the first stage where we talked about, you know, it's like a really kind of clever way of, of them actually. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's really powerful thinking about how we ask questions, the order at which we ask questions and the, the general process of guiding a client through is something that actually isn't talked enough about in the Webflow space. In, in my opinion, I think there's a lot of conversation on, on how to build a website, but that's a very different conversation to how to build a website for someone else. I'm really intrigued to look into that more. I think that's something that personally I need to work on a lot. So it's really interesting to hear your insights there. Speaking of curating ideas, you have your newsletter because you've got a lot of kind of marketing background and it seems that your newsletter kind of scratches that itch and it seems to be like something that combines the outdoors with thinking about the customer and thinking about um you know your local area as well can you tell us a little bit more about that and how that plays into your life sure yeah so basically the premise of the newsletter is i just keep track of a lot of outdoor clubs outdoor organizations conservation groups in the state which is a lot of work as you can imagine i think i'm subscribed to like close to 300 newsletters with hundreds of hundreds of organizations database and I do this because this is just what I naturally do. I don't naturally follow random newsletters, but I'm just naturally really interested in what's happening in my state because it's something that matters to me. I think being outdoors is really good for you. I find a lot of joy in it. I think having a healthy respect for nature, just being outside is really good. And so I do it naturally. And I just had this thought one day where it was basically like, if I'm, if I'm going to do this and I have a lot more, I guess, knowledge about it than say some of my friends here, which is normal because I'm doing that much, but why don't I just share this? Uh, and see if anyone's else's would be would find value in this. And that's one thing I'm I'm constantly curious about or interested in is basically I, I think there's you have applications, apps. And you know, we have Airtable, we have Webflow. And so much of the time we talk about the app, but we but then you have application, which is how something is used. And that to me is so so interesting and that's really what's exciting about the tools. It's not necessarily the tools in themselves that are exciting. It's what the tools can do for people or how the tools are applied, how the apps are applied. And being able to do this on on the side is really fun because when you are applying your skills or the tools you love using to something you're interested in or are curious about, it's just like magical. It all flows so easily. At least this this project has. And I've enjoyed every minute of it. Applying your, your, your skills in in the conditions where it just feels fun and natural is really cool. I want to get into your failures now. We've got a meaty episode ahead because you have, you know, put a lot of thought into these and I'm and I'm excited to get into them. So, tell me about your first failure, forgetting you have a body. <laughs> I I had to put it that way because it's so dramatic, but in some ways it feels true. And essentially what it what it is is when you work online, and you love what you do, or what you do is engaging to you, and you work remotely and you work from home, there is a serious risk 
that you'll get so drawn into the digital world or your digital life that you forget a physical world exists and you live in a physical body. And I had that happen to me uh, where, you know, I'm sure a lot of people, you know, kind of during COVID um, working at 20 working on some big projects. I just lost track of the fact that I existed in like a young, healthy body that could do crazy stuff because I was so mentally locked into what I was doing. You know, maybe one day I'm, I'm working on a project that involves coding and I just get sucked into that thing. And end of the day comes and it's night. Wow. I haven't moved. I haven't gone outside. And I say that because I think it has actual risks. I actually developed knee pain from basically being inactive. Uh, and I had to go to physical therapy and I had to try to kind of essentially build my muscles back up because your body atrophies when you sit in a chair all day. So that's the extreme version of it or the negative side of it is just like, don't forget like that you kind of have one life on the earth. And while there's a lot of stuff happening online and it feels important and sometimes it is really important to your career and to whatever, I would remind people that your body is pretty amazing too and to go outside and do stuff because in the worst case scenario, that's that type of thinking happens. Just take take care of yourself, I guess. But the positive side of it, or the other side, is I was in a slump earlier this year um, where I wasn't focused, like I was describing. I wasn't getting sucked in. In fact, it was more like I was sitting on my computer and I felt consistently distracted. And when I'm in those spaces, sometimes my my inclination is just to to keep trying. Like, okay, you didn't get what you said done in the first four hours of the day. Power through. Power through. But then all of a sudden I'm on Twitter, I'm here and, you know, you, you're just not locked in. And one day I was like, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm going to start taking an afternoon walk without a destination. And I'm just going to start cruising. And I did that and my mood improved so dramatically over the course of the next few weeks. And my ability to focus and my just general well-being and happiness, I guess, improved so much. Literally just walking around my neighborhood and just finding things I hadn't seen before or whatever. So I think the the connection between your body and your mental health and your ability to perform at your job if it's digital is is bigger than i realized so that yeah that's really it is just remembering that i have a body that i should take care of and that taking care of it and using it and being out in the world and being physical actually has positive benefits for the work i'm doing when i'm sitting down at the computer that is the craziest situation though that you had to go to like physical therapy because you were sat down so much and your muscles were active. So what? So what are you in? What are you in for, buddy? Skiing accident? Yeah, exactly. Uh, running? Yeah. No, no. I've just been sitting a lot. Thanks. I've been sitting on my ass too long. That's my problem. It's great. Like it's, but as much as like we're laughing about it, it's not something that's trivialized because I think probably a lot of people that listen to Webdale. In fact, I bet you're listening to this sat on your ass right now. Whoever's listening. Um, <laughs> So maybe, yeah, go for a walk or whatever. I've, I've noticed um, I, when I go to the co-working space, I go to a co-working space that's really close. I cycle there in the morning mm. and my day is so much more productive. The cycle is 10 minutes. I mean, I'm pegging it, so it's good exercise, but it's literally only 10 minutes and it makes a world of difference to the work I'm doing. And I, also the other thing that I've been doing when I haven't been going to the co-working space because it's raining or whatever is just walking to the the boulangerie. I'm living in Bordeaux for anyone that's like, what the hell is he talking about? Um, just But just the act of going there, getting some bread and walking back just instantly sets you up for the for the day in a completely different way than you would in a regular routine when you just do a big weekly shop and just 
be at home maybe working if you're a freelancer so i really resonate with that it's so simple i I think it's so simple that it's overlooked so what you now do is you go for a walk every day is that just it's as simple as that is that the only kind of change that you've had in your life as a result of this i do i do a number of things now but the basic idea is just at some point in my day probably you know for me it's usually in the afternoon my natural energy i guess kind of crashes and i i normally get distracted or sort of lose focus so it's just a good time rather than again trying to sit at the computer and continue powering through whatever i'll i'll just do something um i, I go to a rock climbing gym i'll go for a bike ride go for a walk doesn't really matter. And, and, and sometimes, sometimes I'll do it at the end of the workday. Sometimes I'll do it kind of before the workday or sorry, before the end of the workday. And maybe I'll come back and all of a sudden, like things simmered down, you know, like exercising brings me down a bit into a more calm space. So some of those remaining to-do list items or whatever, that thing I couldn't figure out or the bit of, you know, debugging with code or whatever it is, like, it just feels a little less intimidating and stressful like it just has a way of building up over the day um but if you leave it burn off some steam steam i guess and come back it it seems to help a bit there's something else that you said there when you were talking about the initial failure that sometimes when you're not quite in the zone maybe because you haven't done any exercise for whatever reason you're just like okay i've got to push now when actually sometimes that's exactly the time when you shouldn't push and that's exactly the time when your body's maybe saying look you've been dossing around for an hour it's not like you can just suddenly push like you're dossing around because you know maybe you're just distracted because you haven't actually just gone for a walk or just had a complete body movement change from just sitting in your chair so i think that's another thing to kind of take note Mm -hmm. of just move your body a little bit more. Something Matthew McConaughey does, uh, I've been reading his book, uh, Green Lights, which is quite a weird book, if I'm honest. <laughs> but I mean, Matthew McConaughey you yeah. know, is an interesting character. But he does 20 press-ups. Mm. He'll, he'll, just, he'll just drop down and do 20 press-ups like, during the day. And by the end of the day, he's done 200 press-ups because he's just like on a film set, does, yeah. does his press-ups. And he's done that for years. And look at him go, right? <laughs> you know? Yeah. So... Just putting that out there. If you yeah, ever I, in a bit of a slump, just do twenty press ups if you can. I mean, I actually tried doing this the other day after reading this book, and it's pretty hard yeah. just to do do twenty off the bat if you haven't done them for a well for a year or two, yeah, or three. And, and there's something valuable there, which is it doesn't have to be doesn't have to be a long time, doesn't have to be complicated. I think there's something, and it's not just I guess exercise that I'm talking about. It's it's just about getting your body in in the world in some way. And a lot of times you can do things that you may we may be talking about in the, in the context of exercise or your physical experience, but it's also good time for mental work. So you can kill many birds with one stone by taking, by doing a certain sort of thing. Like it might be the, the healthiest thing you might do during the middle of your day when you're feeling, feeling scrambled or things are frustrating is to take like a journal and go for a walk for 10 minutes, find a bench write down a few things, get some clarity or whatever. We think that the internet or being online is the most productive space to do work related to online work. But there are other spaces and other ways where I think are better for just a better environment. So a lot of times now I'll actually just go to a coffee shop without internet. If I'm doing something related to say strategy, writing, uh, if I'm thinking about something that doesn't require me to be in Webflow or whatever tool I'm using, my tendency is to still be at my computer in my normal environment. But now I actually separate from that. I'll walk to a coffee shop. I'll 
with a pen and paper. No chance of distractions. Gives me that interaction with other people. And I, I do better work there. So I, I guess it's like, don't assume that by taking a break, it's not necessarily productive. Like the goal is not always to be productive, but sometimes the, the breaks you're taking or the things you're doing physically actually really help when you sit back at your computer. So it's not, you're not slacking off. It's needed. Tell me about failure number two, assuming responsibility. Uh, I realized when I wrote this one that it, I think the way I, I label it isn't actually what I was thinking. What I've really meant is not, is not assigning responsibility, clearly, specifically in the beginning of a project. And, and this, this project was in the early days of my, my freelance career. And it was with a person who I'd actually known for a while and was kind of like a mentor advisor, was doing things that I thought were really, really cool. He, at one point, he had talked about investing in our travel company. And uh, I made the mistake of kind of doing the buddy-buddy the, the thing where it's like, you start a project, like, I got you. Like, trust me, I got you. Which is a, such a dangerous position to start from because what do you have? What are you promising? And, and the, the lesson was basically I didn't have that conversation, you know, where you, you know, now when I write, write up agreements early on or have early conversations, it's, it's very clear. It's two columns. Here's what I'll be doing. Here's what you'll be doing. And maybe if you want to even go more explicit, it's four columns. Here's what I'll be doing. Here's what I'll not be doing. And the things I'm not doing, either you're doing or you need to hire someone else to do or I need to hire someone else to do. But I started that that project with a just don't worry, I'll make it work for you. And you can guess how that went. All of a sudden, there were conversations about copywriting and graphic design. And that was not my my strong suit. You know, resentment just kind of builds over time, especially when you're early in your freelance career and you the projects matter so much in the sense of, you know, just income, what it means for your portfolio. Uh, so it basically really stressed me out. And I didn't have the, 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 I don't know, awareness or confidence at that point to put a pause on that project and just have a difficult conversation. Hey man, here's my situation. I know I said I would do this thing, but I am not skilled enough to do that whatever you know it would have taken to to have that conversation i'm sure he would have respected it we could have you know if we maybe we had to rewrite an agreement change the scope who knows i didn't do that i let it i let it snowball and eventually i just got so frustrated and just sent a bunch of emails basically saying like this project is going downhill like i didn't blame him i tried to kind of take the blame but never really never really made an attempt to have a an honest conversation and, and resolve it and ended up just basically quitting the project over email, uh, which sucked. And yeah, it was very early freelance experience, kind of scarring, but in a way really helpful because now when I saw what can happen when you don't have the conversations early and you aren't open about responsibilities, even though maybe it might seem like, I don't know, you're being too forward or you're trying to not do the work or something. It's so much better to just be clear about what you will do, what you expect of the person you're working with, what they expect of you. And I did not do that. And yeah, it sucked. Okay, a lot to unpack there. And I think really, really powerful story for people to potentially like learn from as well. So you essentially worked with someone that you knew really well, but working with someone that you know really well versus just knowing them really well is, is mm -hmm. a completely different thing. And you didn't set expectations for what you were going to do and for what they were going to do. 
Mm-hmm. And as a result, you kind of said, I'll just do everything, I guess, then. And then you got resentful and bitter, but didn't have maybe the emotional maturity or confidence to actually just say, look, here's what I said I would do. And I can't actually fulfill the things that mm-hmm. I originally said. So either we change the scope or you find someone else to fulfill this part of the project, like the graphic design, but something's got to change. But instead you were like, you know what, man, this isn't working and I'm sorry, but have a good life. Was that kind of how, is that the yeah. summary? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's basically just like a, a pretty immature communication and relationship on my end due to lack of experience. And, and again, like when you don't ever talk about what expectations are or you don't do it kind of explicitly at the beginning then you're just assuming and i you know in my head i'm assuming you know he's the expert surely he'll be creating the content and he's probably assuming like he's the expert surely he'll be helping me put together the content and so we're both assuming the other party is doing something and we're asking them under that assumption and to be on the opposite end of to have someone assume you're going to do something without ever talking about it feels like you're being used Mm -hmm. but to assume someone will do something because you've never talked about it is also kind of just naive in a sense where that may have been his perception. And so starting from that place of way too many assumptions and then not having the, the whatever it was, the directness, the confidence to have that conversation in the middle where there was a chance to course correct and then to just let it play out over the course of whatever it was, two months, and eventually let the resentment build and the burnout and the immature firing. Yeah, not not the way to do it. So, I mean, things that seem to be quite important takeaways there, have the difficult conversations as early as possible. Yeah, yeah. And one thing that just popped in my head is maybe you're not a bad person if you say no. And you're not less skilled if you say I can't do that. That's a mistake I see people making fairly often is... Now that I'm at this point in my career where I see where I work with more contractors and I am in a position more of hiring than being hired, it scares me when I see a person say yes to something that I can feel they're not into. There's that that thing where, you know, be pretty like be aware of what you're really good at and what you have bandwidth for and what is sustainable to you. Um, And if you say no, that's okay. And you can maybe come up with an alternative, you know, you can, you know, so actually the project after that was another, another client. And I learned from that mistake and the the client needed, we were building a membership site and they needed to log some, basically it was like a course. So they needed to log some data about completion of videos in the membership data layer for the plugin. At that point, I didn't know JavaScript. Um, So I couldn't really do that. And I was really tempted to just be like, yeah, no problem. Like we'll, we'll figure it out or whatever. But I stopped and I said, hey, hey guys, I, I, I actually don't know how to do this. But what I can do is like I, I can go out and I can find someone in the community. I'm pretty well connected. I can find someone who can, can build this thing. I'll, I'll see what it costs and I'll get back to you in three days or whatever. No problem. I found someone. They gave me a quote. We talked about it. I went back to the client. I said, here's, here's what the situation is. Is this something you want? Is this, you know, is this big enough need for the project? And they like, yep, let's do it. And we did that and it worked really smoothly. So yeah, sometimes that's a very obvious case where I didn't code. How would I pretend to code? But there's a lot more gray areas, I guess, where maybe you're a developer who's being asked to design a lot of stuff. 
yeah, it's it's not always as clear as I don't know or I do know, but it isn't always a bad thing to just be more open about what you think you're you're capable of delivering. God, I wish we did this podcast a few weeks ago. I I I really needed some of this uh, some of this advice. So, okay, gold dust. We need to just lock lock all this gold dust down. So we've got have difficult conversations as early as possible to avoid resentment building up. Mm. You know, some people get silent angry and you might not even know that that person is angry with you if they're silent. Now think about that from a client's perspective. If a client, if you're pissed off at a client, then work out how to explain that to them and also, you know, say, okay, this is frustrating me because... And here's how I suggest we can change this mm. course correct or something. Don't just say I'm pissed off at you. Okay. Mm. I want to have a difficult conversation. I'm annoyed with you. <laughs> just explain why it's frustrating and how and how it can benefit you both to change in a different direction. This is something that I've had recently and I messed it up and I just, I wish I could have changed it. Uh, but have the difficult conversations earlier than you think just if something's annoying you yeah. about it early say no more there's nothing wrong with saying no to things that you cannot do it is way worse in my experience again last few weeks don't say yes and be like i'm gonna work it out mm. if it's difficult it's gonna take you a long time to even work out something enough to get an mvp let alone something that is actually what the client wants nothing wrong with saying no because when you say no what you're saying is yes to other stuff that you're actually good at okay mm. it's so obvious but really just before just take a second if a client says hey can you do this instead of just being like yeah yeah i'll sort it. yeah yeah don't worry just take a second remember this podcast episode listen to max just take a breath and just consider it say i'll get back to you or whatever yeah. if you need more time but don't just say yes blindly and then the final thing that you talked about there is if you do say no you've got an amazing webflow network by virtue of just being a webflower there are people who are better than you at particular stuff that you can reach out to and you can you know get support on and don't be afraid of saying i don't know how to do this but i know someone who does because at least you're providing a result for the client that you know, frankly, may cost them a little bit more money, but it's the actual result that they want. Was that a fair summary? Did I leave yep. anything out? No, I think you nailed it. I, I think the simple thing right there is just you don't have to say yes immediately is maybe how to revise it. And you don't have to say no immediately either. You can give yourself a chance to understand the situation and then you can provide that context to a client. And amazingly, sometimes when once the client has the context, the request will just disappear, especially if it involves money. Then all of a sudden it's yeah. not that important. But if you on the spot immediately say, yeah, I got, I, I think I can do that for you. Then you've committed yourself to everything that might entail, whether or not the client even cares that much about the feature. People have ideas. Um, they don't always know what it takes to bring an idea to life. And if the client says anything along the lines of this shouldn't take long to do, mm. well, then why don't you do it? I <laughs> don't you do it then. So yeah, if, that phrase comes into the mixer red flag yeah i feel uh that's that's always was one that gets the hairs on the back of my neck you know like a like a hedgehog goes into a ball when it's ready to attack that's that's me spidey sense. Um, 
Let's talk about failure number three, taking yourself too seriously. Let's talk about that. Yeah, story here. Like, I think there's just a, I, I have a little more breathing room now. You know, I would put it this way. I think starting a freelance career is tough and you feel like you're constantly trying to prove something or maybe constantly trying to make yourself appear big. And I think that's normal. Uh, so I, I don't know if this comment comes more from a place of being at a point of more confidence and being able to relax a bit. Um, and I don't know how true it would hold if I were to put myself back in those days and try again. But essentially, I think I, I felt like I always had to present. And I had to run a meeting a certain way. I had to be knowledgeable. I had to be serious. You know, the, the, that being serious would let them know that I'm serious or I'm good at what I do. And working at 80-20 has changed that a bit because here's what I realized. We had a really difficult project with a client and they had about 12 people on their team and hot, tight deadline, difficult situation. Every week I would meet with them for about eight weeks straight and we'd go through in this case, a, a part of their migration. We would cover, say, three CMS collections per week. We talk about the complexities and differences of it as kind of a way to try to get the project back on track because honestly, it was going off track. People were stressed. There were messages going about like just working. The first meeting I joined, I was pretty serious. You know, I was very buttoned up. You know, here's what we're going to do. And the meeting went well and we got stuff done. Then the next meeting I showed up and for whatever reason, I was like, I had this realization like, these are people too. And this is not their whole world. They have kids, they have lives. And we're creating, we're making it seem like this is the most serious event in the history of whatever. Uh, and it, yeah, it's important. I'm not discounting that it didn't matter to them or whatever, but bringing context to it in like a, a levity or lightness to it, I, I started cracking jokes and it just softened up. And I was getting messages after like, you know, five weeks into these meetings, I'm getting DMs from various people on the team be like, thank you so much for like always cracking jokes and, you know, having fun with it. Like, you know, it, it's, it really makes the meetings that much better. It makes our, our lives that much better. And I see it with 8020 team members as well. I think I tweeted about it, but basically I think the 8020 secret sauce is competence and kindness combined. And we rely heavily on kindness and that can look a number of different ways, but it can just be, I think one thing we do is we always initiate a conversation from a human perspective, meaning if it's a new conversation, a new person, we don't just hit them with action items. There's some indication that like, I see you're a human. I care who you are. We send amazing client gifts because we really get to know our clients. We drop little nuggets in our Slack messages. Like we might put an emoji that relates to what their business does. Like it sounds kind of stupid, but we try to basically have fun with, with clients because being playful or having fun or cracking a joke doesn't make your output less quality. So if you're, if you're competent and you can deliver, like think about not only just being a competent, skilled person, but also think about the experience you're creating in the inter interaction you're having with that person, because there's a potential to not only have it be efficient, which is a good thing and productive, which is a good thing. But there's actually, I think, potential for it to be fun, enjoyable. There, there are all these other qualities to a relationship, a working relationship also that could exist. But if you only focus on like, ah, how do I make myself as professional and efficient and serious and whatever, like you might miss some of those other intangibles that will give you more leeway later 
when you need to have a conversation with a client that's maybe tough, if you've built up a relationship that matters, you can have that conversation more easily. It's a superpower. It's funny how simple, you know, maybe putting like an emoji related to the client's businesses or yeah, putting putting a meme in the chat or whatever it is, how basic that is. And maybe people might think, well, that's, well, that's unprofessional, isn't it? Or whatever. But yeah. actually it's like, these people are human. You know, we find stuff funny. We want to enjoy ourselves, even if something maybe is higher stakes uh, or a higher stakes part of life. It's funny how those little things, those human elements that, you know, just maybe take a tiny bit more effort from you, but really not much, uh, can completely change how um, that client relates to you. And I think also it's interesting that you talked about how the clients after those meetings would like DM you just say, hey, I really enjoyed that. Thanks so much for like just making this a little bit easier than it would be if it was really dry. Because sometimes it feels I've been working with people where it feels like us versus them it's like yes i'm trying to fulfill your client project but it's like a battle and i think it doesn't need to be if you can frame it in the right manner as someone that's competent and kind like you've just mentioned um so yeah really powerful yeah and and obviously it's totally dependent on it's not always going to feel fun and like natural some clients may in a certain headspace or they may not whatever but if you think about what type of meetings you want to attend and what type of people you want to interact with then i think that or if you think back on who you like talking to who you like working with i think it'll pretty much become clear like what the qualities are that you could infuse in or even you know the conversations you listen to online people who whatever it is like it's not the people who are very dry and serious all the time there's probably an element of irreverence or like humor or something so yeah try it out see what happens i think there's something interesting that you said there where you talked about if you have the competence then yes like you can't just be like a joker who's winging it and i think that's another that's something to highlight because people who might be listening to this might be in their first year of freelancing be like I'm just going to crack a joke when we're doing a CMS migration that I've never done before. Welcome to my hour. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think just to say that, you know, there is, there is too far. there, yep. I, and, I've, and I've been there, guys. So I'm just highlighting <laughs> that for anyone who's like, all right, we got a meeting tomorrow. I'm going to, you know, wear a funny hat or something like yeah. there, you know, there's, there's a line. And, um, but, but I do agree that most of the time we're trying to look as the way we think we're meant to look in order to be described as professional or competent or whatever those words might conjure up as images in your mind and actually it, it, there's there's nothing wrong with being human while being competent like it's not competence yeah. versus kindness yeah. and human it's actually competence and yes kindness. definitely it's definitely an and an and combination yeah you, you will not you will not have a good time if you or a funny person who doesn't deliver. We've got a very difficult last question to finish on, though. Are you ready? Mm, sure. What is your next failure going to be? Sure. Okay. I'm going to go a little philosophical here. 
I have this concept in my head that I use to describe myself. I say there are two parts of me. There's a schemer and there's a dreamer. Uh, schemer, the schemer part of me is the person who looks at the situation or the environment or the game. Specifically, I use the word game. And the schemer just wants to win and will do whatever it takes, whatever tactic, whatever, whatever, whatever it takes to win the game. And then the dreamer side is the person who is attached to something bigger or does, doesn't even view it as a game necessarily, acts out of curiosity, love, whatever those qualities are. Those things work super well together when I have the schemer being led by the dreamer. But the schemer side of my brain is that problem-solving side, the tinker that you see you know, online. And that side of my brain can get hijacked really quickly when someone comes to me with a problem or a client comes to me with a need. If I let that part of me lead and I just say, yeah, I got you, I sometimes end up doing stuff I don't care about at all. So I could see myself, you know, I've done this repeatedly where I'll end up working with a client uh, simply because the technical challenge or like the details of the project, I could win. Like, okay, I can make a, a, a bunch of money in a short amount of time. Or uh, this will, this, I can, I know how to hack this. I can do this thing using this tool, using this script to get this information, to give them this advantage. That's a, that's a, I guess a, a repeat risk for me is just getting drawn into solving something or winning a game that I don't even care about. Thanks so much to Max for coming on the podcast and thanks so much to you lot for listening. The part of this episode that really stands out to me is when Max talks about avoiding scope creep and confusion by defining very clear responsibilities before starting the project. What are you doing as the freelancer and what are you not doing? Then what is the client doing and what is the client not doing? Essentially, if it's not defined at the start, it's going to get messy as there's a lack of clarity over expectations. And I can personally attest to this because I currently have a messy project where I wish I'd heard from Max earlier. So clearly define what you are doing and what you're not doing. Say no to things that you are not able to do and have difficult conversations early. Do not let things fester. Thanks so much to Max for coming on this podcast. He provided the goods. Next week, we have Jamie Dowis on the podcast, founder of Virago Development. Excited to talk to her about her fails. Have a great week, web flailers. And remember, keep on flailing.